Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. And we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 4 And we'll read from verse 21 to 31 Galatians chapter 4 Verse 21 to 31 Big portion that we're going to try and cover in one message today So let's read this together Paul writes Tell me You who desire to be under the law Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time he was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That is the end of our reading of God's Word together. Now, all throughout the book of Galatians, Paul has been making this big deal about the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Because really knowing and believing that you are totally accepted by God as one of His own beloved children, gives us the confidence and freedom to live for what really matters in this life. Which is what? Which is the absolute glory of God. To live biblical lives that point people everywhere to the most important person in the universe. Lives where we desire with everything inside of us to see Christ being formed in us more and more. And formed in others that we love more and more as we grow in our relationship with the Father, in our relationship with the Son, through the power of the Spirit. But the opposite of living a life of Christian freedom is living a life of self. 
thinking you are free, but in fact you are trapped. You are locked up behind the prison doors of your own efforts by listening to your own ideas and feelings of what it means to be a Christian, and you're influenced by the lies of false enslaving religious gospel teachers. Instead of being more biblical, your life ends up looking pretty much the same as the rest of the pagan religious world around you. Embracing a gospel that says, the more you do, the more God will be happy with you. We know that because of Paul's evangelism, God used him to start these churches in and around the year of Galatia. But not long after these people enjoyed this new sense of freedom in Jesus, did another set of missionaries from Jerusalem arrive to correct Paul's gospel. These guys were sweet-talking the Galatians into thinking that you need to be a Jewish legalist to really be a Christian. You need to become like them and get back to living under the law of Moses to be all that you can be. And so in one sense, the book of Galatians is helping us understand how we should think and relate to the law of Moses. See, but under the toxic influence of these false teachers, which the Galatians were listening to, they started to mess up this new freedom they had in Jesus. They were busy getting off track very, very quickly. They started to keep different kinds of Jewish traditions that were unnecessary for Christians. And today, many people can still look at this whole thing called Christianity and reduce faith in Jesus to a simple list of rules we need to keep and traditions we need to follow. Where people check how they are doing in the Christian life and measure their joy levels by, based on what they do for God and not based on what God has done for them. And to convince the Galatians they are getting it all wrong, Paul has written, we know, this passionate, God-inspired letter to get them to listen to the truth and turn back to Jesus, and only Jesus. All throughout the letter, Paul has been drawing comparisons between religious bondage and spiritual freedom. Being a child of the present evil age and being a child of God. Between law and faith, between slavery and freedom. And here at the end of chapter 4, Paul is pretty much making a summary of so much of what he's already said in the letter. But he's going to be making another shocking illustration to wake everyone up. He brings back Abraham into this brilliant argument to highlight the issue of promise and faith versus that of self and keeping the law and the flesh and thinking that you can be part of God's family simply because you're a Jew. And last time we were together, we saw how he brought in the false teachers again to show the difference between their selfish intentions versus Paul's sacrificial intentions where his commitment to the gospel of freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ caused him to be so committed to other people that he was hurting to see them to be more like Jesus. All that Paul wanted so desperately is for them 
to be like Jesus. But it's as if these guys are just not listening. Or rather they're listening, but to the wrong people. The strong emotions of Paul have come through this letter again and again in various ways, where he boldly proclaims that these false gospel missionaries should be damned to hell. This is how serious this is. He's like a parent who just wants to shake his children and say, Wake up! Listen to what I'm saying. You're going the wrong way here. Paul just wants them to be biblical. And the irony of it all is that the Galatians bought the lie that in order to be more biblical, you must keep more of the law of Moses. These Jewish festivals... And even get circumcised. If only they would listen to Paul, right? Paul wishes he could be there with them in person because he knows that communication is hard. He's concerned that they won't understand what he's trying to say and desires that he could be with them in person and see them face to face. And so last week he showed us what he desired for the Galatians. But today... He tries to work on that communication by painting this picture for them by way of analogy. So they can really get what he's been saying all along. He's going to be biblical to show them they are being unbiblical. And that is what verses 21 to 31 is showing us. It's like a summary of Paul's whole argument thus far. Filled with so many of the familiar themes that we've talked about already. But in this summary, Paul brings in biblical illustrations again to make his point. And Galatians 4:21 to 31 is a thick portion of Scripture. And so I hope you guys are ready to study God's Word today, because it's going to be some real work to try and unpack and understand what God is trying to say to us through this picture. We're going to have to stretch our minds and, and open our hearts and, 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 and really try and understand what God is saying, so that we make sure we're listening to the truth. Because we need to make sure we're listening to God's Word and the truth and not just listening to ourselves. One of you have ever noticed that in your life, that you can be listening to yourself so much that you end up only hearing what you want to hear. That even when someone points you back to the biblical truth, you don't want to hear what they have to say. Rather, it's when others say something aligned with your own desires of what you want to hear, that you easily agree with them, and you find unity with them. And so if we're going to avoid that from happening to us, and have Christ be formed in us, and if we're going to be biblical in how we live our lives of Christian freedom, and enjoy that freedom we have in Christ, then this picture of Paul here in chapter 4 can help us by Focusing in on three simple words. I want to try and simplify this somewhat difficult illustration of Paul by helping us remember three words. Right? Here we go. Listen, rejoice, cleanse. Three words. Listen, rejoice, cleanse. I told you a few weeks ago that it was only recently in chapter 4 that Paul gave the first real imperative, the command to the Galatians here in the letter. It's been all theology up until this point. 
And Paul was saying the command was to be more like him. Someone that does not live under the law anymore. And in this illustration of Paul where he's going to talk about two mothers, two sons, two covenants and two Jerusalems, he is exhorting the Galatians to be biblical, to listen, to rejoice and to cleanse. And so firstly, to persuade the Galatians that they are free from the law and to live biblically, they need to listen to what the Bible says. Number one, listen. Listen to what the Bible already says. That's verses 21 to 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. You see, it's easy to think you're biblical without actually listening to what the Bible says. This is what Paul is about to reveal to the Galatians. And so he starts his section by saying, Tell me, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, which is like saying, Okay, I'm perplexed about you Galatians, now you tell me, right? You guys who desire to go back under the law, you who desire to go back in salvation history, you who desire to go back to a life under the power of sin and want to live a life as if Jesus never came and died for you, do you not listen to the law? Because the irony of what Paul is saying to them is that if they were actually listening to what the law says, they would realize that even the law says you should not go back to the law. In other words, he's asking, what does the law say about the law? Because they are willing to get circumcised and all that stuff in order to be more faithful to Scripture. But what does the Scripture actually say? Well, Paul uses the term law in different ways here. And in many other places in the Bible, it does the same thing. Sometimes the term law refers to the law that God gave to Moses. Other times we know it refers to the whole Old Testament. And here Paul is basically saying, you who desire to be under the Mosaic law... Do you not listen to what the rest of the Bible has been saying about how the law shows you how much you need Jesus and how you can't keep the law? So if you want to go back to living under the law, then you're not listening, are you? You're not listening to what you want to listen to. You only want to do what you want to do because the scriptures have been saying loudly that we all need Jesus and not Jesus plus the law. If you're listening to what God is saying, then you'll be hearing that He has been getting people ready for Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Because what did Jesus say? To His disciples in Luke 24, 44. Then He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. John 5.46 For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, says Jesus. You see, Galatians, if you've been listening to the law and not these false law teachers, 
and actually listen to what God has been saying, then you will understand what I am saying. You will not go back to the law. You will go back to Jesus. And so that is why Paul then goes back to the Scriptures to make his point. Verse 22. For it is written. For it is written. And so instead of quoting a specific verse from the Old Testament, he goes back to the events surrounding a very familiar uh, set of people. He is taking them back to the events of Genesis 16 to Genesis 21. Genesis 16 to 21. And he brings back Father Abraham. And the fact that Abraham had two sons born of two different women. He says that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. You guys kind of remember the story, right? Abraham and Sarah wanted to have a child because God promised that He would make Abraham a great nation. But his wife Sarah was getting desperate because of her unanswered prayers at that time and because she was old and not able to have kids. So what did she do? She brought Hagar, her Egyptian slave and maidservant, to Abraham and said that he should have a child with her. And Abraham looking at his old barren wife and then looking at this much younger Egyptian woman, he didn't decline the opportunity, did he? And so he had a son with Hagar. And what was his name? Ishmael, Genesis 16:15. Bonus points for those who said that. But God did not forget His promise because He says in the very next verse, Genesis 17:15, I will bless her your wife Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So Sarah had a son as well. And his name was Isaac. Isaac. So you have Ishmael and Isaac. And why is Paul bringing up Abraham and these two women and these two sons? It's because he's bringing back the theme of being sons of Abraham. He's tying this argument back to Galatians chapter 3 verse 7. He wants them to listen to what the law says about the seed of Abraham. And so here we have two mothers and two sons. But they have the same father. That is what makes Ishmael and Isaac the same. They are both sons of Abraham. They both would have been circumcised, grew up in the same environment. But the big difference was, they did not have the same mother. You see, Hagar was a slave, and as a result, Ishmael was born a slave. Where Sarah was a free woman. Which means Isaac was not born as a slave, but free. And so now Paul ties his argument back to the theme of slavery and freedom as well. But it's the manner in which these kids were born that he really wants them to hear. Look at verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Yes, these two had the same father, but they, when they came into the world, they came in very differently. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. Which means he came into this world because what? Abraham and Sarah did their own thing, right? 
They took matters into their own hands. Where Sarah represented, uh, where Sarah presented the slave woman to give Abraham a child instead of trusting in the promise of God. Abram was basically operating on the idea that God helps those who help themselves. He was trying to take the blessing rather than patiently waiting to receive it. And so in contrast to that, Paul reminds them that Isaac was born not according to the flesh, but according to the promise. Because the birth of Isaac was this clear, amazing demonstration of the power of God. Isaac's birth was a result of God's supernatural intervention. And when anyone becomes a Christian, it's because of God's supernatural intervention. Not because they took matters into their own hands and say, I want to follow Jesus. You see, the one son came by works, the other by faith. One was a slave, the other one was free. So each of these sons represent a different way to think about religion and Christianity. It's law against grace. It's flesh against promise. It's self-reliance against divine dependence. And so if the Galatians are listening to the Bible, they will have to stop and recognize what the Bible has been saying about life under the law and taking things into your own hands and how being a son of Abraham is important, yes. But it's actually not so much about who your father is alone. It's about who is your mother. Who is your mother? If we are going to understand our freedom in Jesus, we need to make sure we are listening to what God says about our freedom. We need to listen carefully to what God has already said. But not only do we need to listen, we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice because of what God has already done. And that's our second word for today. Rejoice. Rejoice in knowing what God is doing. That's verses 24 to 27. Paul now continues his journey back into the Old Testament to help the Galatians listen to what the law has been saying by now unpacking this illustration. He writes, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, he says again, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And so maybe you're reading all that and you're like, what in the world is Paul saying? Now the statement now, this may be interpreted allegorically, has gotten many scholars uncomfortable. And we should understand why. Because when we hear the term allegorically, biblical scholars get nervous because usually the term allegory means that you have the story where there's people and places and events that stand for some deeper spiritual truths. 
if not understood properly, some people apply this then to the Bible, where they look for deeper hidden meanings, which the biblical author never meant to communicate. I mean, a good example of allegory is actually the story of Pilgrim's Progress, right? Pilgrim's Progress. We have read that story here at church, where the characters and the places they travel to represent different spiritual truths. But John Bunyan was not writing history. He was telling a story to make a spiritual point. Paul is actually using real history in his illustration. Real people and real events. Isaac and Ishmael were real sons born to real mothers. Thus, even when Paul uses this phrase, now this may be interpreted allegorically, he is saying that he is going to interpret these characters and show how these represent spiritual truths based on real historical and future events. Other translations even use the word figuratively. That's helpful, but it can also give you the impression that it was not literal. Paul is giving us a combination here of literal historical events and people and uses them by way of an analogy to make a spiritual point. Okay, now with all that in mind, we should know that allegory was something that Galatians would have been used to because in that time of history, scholars indicate that many writers use this form of literary device to communicate. And so Paul's trying to work on this communication and he's trying to make things clear. And then he proceeds to paint the picture. He says, these two women, these women are two covenants. These women are two covenants. Now to understand that Isaac and Ishmael and what they represent, it helps to start with their moms. These two women and their sons are illustrations of two covenants. Paul goes on to say, one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. You see, Hagar and Ishmael represent the covenant of law and works. The Mosaic covenant we know that was given to Moses at, at Mount Sinai. And it required that God's chosen and delivered people from Egypt, the Jews, should keep all the commands. And because it was impossible to keep all these commands, it produced a kind of religious slavery. The law here continually says, you shall not do this, you shall do that. You shall not do this, you shall do that. And Hagar was the perfect woman to represent this covenant with Moses and the enslaving law because she herself was what? A slave. A slave. And all her children like Ishmael and the, the Ishmaelites that came after him, along with anyone else, who is still in bondage through their own efforts, are children of the slave woman Hagar. But then Paul brings in the punchline. And it's a pretty shocking statement if you were a Jew, and even if you're a Jew today. Verse 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. Now look at what Paul is saying here. He's, Hagar, the slave woman, corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And when he refers to present Jerusalem, he's referring to the center of everything 
that is Jewishness. The home of Judaism. He's referring to the place of religious Torah observance. Because the present Jerusalem is not this glorious city of David's day. It's a place that is equal to slavery. Imagine talking to a Jew and saying, Your holy city is a place of slavery. This would have been shocking to any Jew. These false missionaries are saying, Abraham and Sarah are our heritage. But Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, writes and says, No, you're wrong. Hagar is your mother. Hagar is your mother. Slavery is your heritage. So Galatians, when you think present day Jerusalem, Paul says, think slavery. Think the place where they rejected Jesus. Think of people trapped in their own religious efforts. These missionaries that come from Jerusalem to create my gospel and are sweet-talking you away from the truth, look at where they come from and what they represent. This would have been a shock to any religious Jerusalem-loving Jew. Charles Spurgeon explains it like this. He says, This law is the most rigorous master in the world. No wise man would love its service. For after all you have done, the law never gives you a thank you for it, but says, Go on. Go on. The poor sinner trying to be saved by the law is like a blind horse going around and around a mill and never getting a step further, but only being whipped continually And the faster he goes, the more work he does, the more tired he is. Is that your experience of Christianity? Paul says these Judaizers are enslaved like this because Hagar is their mother. And because she was their mother, Spurgeon goes on to explain, Hagar was a slave, Ishmael, more than good as he was, was nothing but a slave and never could be more. Not all the works he had ever rendered to his father could make him a free-born son. But then in verse 26, Paul brings in a different mother, right? And a different Jerusalem to make the contrast between slavery and freedom again. He says, verse 26, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul even skips mentioning Sarah and Isaac and the name of the other covenant because it would have been obvious what he's talking about. Because what has been the only other covenant that he's talked about thus far in the letter to the Galatians? The covenant God made with Abraham, right? And what what fulfills the covenant God made with Abraham? It's the coming of Jesus And the new covenant, something the Bible has been saying for a very long time. So the spiritual descendants of Sarah through Isaac live in the Jerusalem above and are free. Because she is our mother. And if you are someone that lives by faith in the promises of God, given to Abraham and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, then you also live, guess what? In the Jerusalem above. The whole letter of Galatians has been saying, this applies not only to the Jew, but to Gentiles by faith. But what does Paul talk about exactly when he says the Jerusalem above? 
What is this Jerusalem? He is talking about a citizenship that is not of the present earthly enslaved Jerusalem, but of a free heavenly citizenship from which we eagerly await our Savior. Philippians 3.20 I mean, the author of Hebrews explains that instead of going to Mount Sinai in Arabia, those with faith in Jesus come to what mountain? We sang about it. Mount Zion, Hebrews 12.22 Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. A place where you are free from the law. Free from your own works. From the bondage of self and from the flesh. And as one scholar says, before coming to Christ by faith, a person is free to do virtually whatever he wants, what is wrong. But he is not free to do anything that is right in God's sight. The Holy Spirit not only delivers the believer from sin, but enables him now for the first time to do what is biblically right. Because the heavenly Jerusalem is made up of redeemed people who live by faith in the promises of God now and together wait for the new Jerusalem to come down from above as Revelation 21 and 22 explains. But as believers in Jesus wait for the Jerusalem above, they have the already spiritually ascended to the city of God now. Their minds are set on Christ that is reigning and ruling from above. They live with a different perspective and a mindset in this world because their minds and hearts are dwelling with God in His eternal city already. And anyone who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord is a son or daughter of Sarah, the free woman, and the true child of Abraham. And if we belong to God's family in this way, Paul says we're free in Christ. We're free in Christ. Free to obey God by having this heavenly mindset. If you're really listening to what the Bible is saying and you realize how free you are in Jesus, you can only sing for joy. You can only sing for joy because to clarify exactly who is part of this new Jerusalem, Paul quotes Isaiah 54.1. Isaiah 54.1 where he writes, For it is written, verse 27, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. See, the original context of Isaiah 54 was given to encourage Israel who were exiles in Babylon. It would seem to any Jew stuck in exile that the promise given to Abraham was not going to bear any fruit since they were stuck in exile. Israel is like a barren woman whose children have been lost to this exile. But God promised that Israel would return to the land and prosper once again. You see, the Isaiah context helps us see that Israel that is stuck in exile is like a wife that is abandoned by her husband. But God will take back His unfaithful wife once again and establish a covenant of peace. And Jerusalem as a city will be made this precious and beautiful place of stones where no one will harm her. Isaiah 
Because when all hope seems to be lost for Israel, God promised to restore her children. And the thing is, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise has become a reality, not simply because Israel returns from exile, but when Gentiles become Christians in places like Galatia. When Gentiles become Christians in places like Pretoria. It's because of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, the suffering servant from Isaiah 53, that the Jerusalem above will be populated once again with people from every tribe and tongue and nation because of turning from a life of self and doing to a life of trust and dependence in the Lord Jesus alone. The new Jerusalem will be filled with far more children than the old Jerusalem could ever contain. And when people hear the good news of Jesus Christ and respond by faith, then this prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled every day where God is enlarging the tents to gather His people together. And when you see how God can take what seems to be desolate and hopeless and turn it into something that is fruitful beyond what we can imagine all because of His faithfulness and knowing you're part of that new city that, that new Jerusalem then all you can do is rejoice rejoice and sing praises to our God because you are part of that bride of Christ not because of what you've done but because of how Jesus suffered to make you His own so Paul's point to the Galatians is, if you are really listening and rejoicing because God made you part of His new Jerusalem, then going back to the law is going back to this hopeless Jerusalem. This enslaved Jerusalem. We need to continually rejoice that because of God's power, He can create something out of nothing. This is the kind of God we serve. When we go through difficult times and circumstances in our lives, it might also seem that we are trapped with no way out. Yet we can rejoice in the God who brings something out of nothing, who even causes the barren to give birth. It made me think of when my wife and I, we were told we could not have children. The doctor said, unfortunately, we cannot have children. But we told her, we just will need some time to pray about what you've just told us. She immediately wanted to start us off with all these medical treatments to, to help us to have children. And we said, yeah, we, please, can we just take some time to think and pray? And it is through that time of prayer and dependence on God that we saw that He already had a plan. Even at that time when the doctor told my wife she cannot have kids, she was already pregnant with our child. And the danger is that when we start to rejoice in the power of God, we start to rely on our own efforts again. When you start being amazed about what is God has done in your salvation, guess what? You're going to start relying on yourself again. We want to take matters into our own hands. We want to listen to people who tell us to take matters into our own hands like this doctor. 
And so we need to listen. We need to listen to how the law says we should not go back to the law, but go back to Jesus. And because we have life and freedom in Jesus, knowing that God keeps His promises, knowing that He can take any hopeless situation and turn it into something fruitful and beautiful and glorious, we continue to rejoice in the salvation we have in Jesus alone. And so to really embrace the freedom we have in Christ, God's people, like the Galatians, we listen and rejoice. But thirdly, thirdly, we need a cleanse. We need a cleanse. Cleanse yourself, number three, from that which wants to enslave you. Verses 28 to 31. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as that at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. If the Galatians were going to be biblical, they need to understand that they, like Isaac, were children of promise. But then Paul helps to put things into perspective again regarding the, the daily struggles of the Christian life because if you are going to be a son of promise, then you can and should expect some persecution. Persecution. But just as at the time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit so also it is now Paul is saying that there has been a long standing rivalry between the children of the flesh and the children of the promise or, or the spirit in other words he wants to show that there's always been a fight between the flesh and the spirit I'm sure you can relate to what that we read in Genesis 21 that the child born of the slave woman, Ishmael, laughed at the child born of the free woman, Isaac. There was this tension and hostility between the two sons. Genesis 21.8 says, And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Ishmael was not just teasing his little half-brother. He was treating him with disrespect and there was this warlike attitude towards his brother. And part of Paul's point here is that Christians should expect that same kind of hostility toward them now. Because he says, so also it is now. Because it was happening in Galatia. The sons of Hagar were persecuting the sons of Sarah. The Jews were persecuting the Gentile Christians by not allowing them to live in the grace of God's free gift in Jesus. All throughout history and still today, there's this war between those who hold to salvation by your own works and those who live and proclaim a salvation only in Jesus Christ. These Judaizers really thought they were 
descendants of Abraham through Isaac, where Paul is saying they are related to Ishmael, to the flesh, and making war on grace. And again, Jesus had something to say about this similar to the Jews in Jerusalem of his day. John 8, 39. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Those who trust in God have always been persecuted by those who trust in themselves. Jesus knew all about that. And his followers should expect the same. But what are we to do in order to protect the freedom we have in Christ, according to verse 30? But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. Paul is exhorting the Galatians to cleanse themselves from those who are hostile toward their freedom in Jesus. In other words... These persecutors who must be thrown out or cast out before their lies and their influence causes you to turn away from Jesus. Sarah had Hagar and Ishmael thrown out of Abram's household. Genesis 21.10 So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be here with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now maybe the wives would like to use this verse to say, Hey, look, God says you must listen to me. Right? God told Abraham to listen to his wife. Because before he was listening to her, when she had this crazy idea about Hagar, where they were not trusting in the word of God. But now God said to Abraham, I want you to listen to your wife. This is me telling you, listen to your wife. Because what is important is what I am doing through Isaac. And that which stands in the way of what I'm doing through Isaac should be removed. Those in your midst who call us to a false, self-enslaving gospel should be removed. The Galatians needed to drive these Judaizers right out of the church. And those who seek to force others to live the Christian life based on the works of the flesh should be driven out of the church as well. We need to cleanse ourselves from these false influences so that we can live in freedom as God intended. Now in one sense, that is why God has given us the church and things like church discipline. But in another sense, we need to identify that what is causing the persecution in our lives? And persevere for the truth by focusing on what God has promised to give us. Because Paul said, For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. 
Those who try and earn God's favor by their own works will not inherit what God has promised to those who rely only on Jesus and His work on their behalf. Martin Luther said, Those who try to achieve the status of sons and heirs by their righteousness of the law or by their own righteousness are slaves who will never receive the inheritance even though they work themselves to death with their great effort. For they are trying, contrary to the will of God, to achieve by their own works what God wants to grant the believer by sheer grace for Christ's sake. It's when we start to actually listen to what the Bible says that we can rejoice in the fact that God saves people from any background, that He takes those who seem hopeless and makes them hopeful by being persecuted in, He was persecuted in our place and then calls us to cleanse ourselves from these false influences that seek to rob our freedom so we can confidently say with Paul, verse 31, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul has actually beautifully set up the rest of Galatians for us here. This tension between the flesh and the spirit that is now coming in chapter 5. Chapter 5 verse 17 he goes on to say, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I want to live for Jesus, but my flesh is causing me to live for self. So how can I live in the Spirit? That is where Paul's going next. And so we're going to look at how to live in the Spirit so we can fight against the desires of the flesh. But out of the summary illustration in Galatians 4 of two sons, two mothers, two covenants, to Jerusalem, Paul is exhorting us to listen, to rejoice, and to cleanse so that we can live free as the sons and daughters of God by faith in Jesus Christ alone. True freedom only comes to those who listen to God's worth and respond with faith. John 8.32 So Jesus said to the Jews, who had believed him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free do you need to be set free Jesus says listen to the truth embrace the truth turn to the truth turn to me and so in closing, let me ask you three simple questions. Are you listening to God's Word? Or are you listening to yourself and the lies of the world? Are you rejoicing in what God has already done for you? Or do you focus on yourself? Are you removing the false influences from your life that tries to force you to rely on your own efforts to be a son of and daughter of God. 
The old covenant said, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. The new covenant and the gospel says, and God says, I will. I will. You just need to believe it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you take so much effort to communicate to us the precious truth of the gospel of freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for Paul's labor of love to to even try and unpack this intense illustration of the Old Testament to to help the, the, the Galatians see how they are busy turning back to the law but not listening to the law. Father, help us not to make those same mistakes. Help us not to open our Bibles but we have all these own ideas of what the Bible says. That we end up reverting back to a place where we're not rejoicing in the gospel. We're not rejoicing in what you've done to set us free from the life of self and, and self-effort. Because, Father, we know that as soon as we stop rejoicing in this great salvation, that we turn again to ourselves. And, Father, help us to cleanse ourselves from the sins and the lies and the influences in our lives that's, that's telling us we need to do more. That by the end of the day, when we look at our day, we don't go to the day and say, Lord, look at all the things I've done. We go and say, Lord, thank you, forgive me for what I have not done. But thank you for Jesus who's done everything in my place perfectly. That I am a son of Abraham and that Sarah is my mother. By trusting in Jesus. That I'm a citizen of the new Jerusalem. Set free to have a heavenly mindset. Already ascended to the city of God where we're desiring the things of God. Rather than desiring the things of this life. Thank you for giving us the church. Thank you for giving us one another. So that we can help each other. Hold on to that time where Jesus comes back. Thank you for your grace in the gospel. Thank you. It's nothing because of what we do. It's all because of you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.